Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett, and today we're joined by Sean Hesketh of WP101, which is a WordPress training site. And I've met Sean in person, and I'm really fortunate as the co-founder of Lifter LMS to work with Sean. And, and Sean also uses Lifter LMS to deliver his online courses. It's a great honor to have you on the show. You've been a big part of the WordPress community for a long time. You've helped a lot of people get up to speed with WordPress, including myself. I remember the first time I met you uh, through Skype or whatever it was. Um, I had heard your voice so many times before that I had that, that same thing. People say that when they make, meet me now because of this podcast and my 200 some odd YouTube videos, but uh, you're definitely a legend in the WordPress community and you've just helped a lot of people uh, with WordPress and which helps them start businesses or build websites, uh, which is really amazing. And your platform has been around for a long time. You, you have a, a nice large community and I wanted to kind of pick your brain so that the people that are out, out there listening, the online course creators, the entrepreneurs, the teachers can learn some pro tips and tricks from you and also where you've stumbled along the way. Um, so Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Chris. It's an honor to be on your show and huge fans of what you're doing. And uh, I'm happy to talk about mistakes that I've made because that helps somebody else avoid making the same mistakes, then maybe that makes it all worthwhile. So I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we hear this expression about standing on the shoulders of giants and sometimes there's a misconception that they always have to be like these larger than life in-person mentors. Um, but you can stand on the shoulder of giants all around you in books and podcasts and uh, shows like this or whatever. So you know, sharing the ups and downs has a, has a ton of value. Um, well, for the uninitiated who has not maybe come across WP101.com yet, what is your full offer? Like, what is it that WordPress 101 offers? Well, essentially at its core, WordPress 101 is a series of video tutorials that help beginners, mostly people who are brand new to web publishing in general, to learn how to use WordPress to build beautiful websites for a blog or business or whatever else they can imagine. So we started very simply with a core series of videos that just teaches WordPress. And then over the years, we've added additional courses that teach how to uh, do additional things with your WordPress site that you might run into down the road after you've got your initial site built and up and running. So we're continuing to create new courses and new videos and new tutorials that might come down the road for topics like SEO and uh, marketing and other things like that. So we're your one stop for beginners to learn how to use WordPress to build their site. That's awesome. Well, before that, I know you, you, you came from a freelancer agency style work. So what's just briefly, what was the journey? Like, how did you get to WP101.com as being your main jam? Like before that it was left lane designs, correct? That's right. Yeah. Left lane designs was my design company that started fresh out of high school way back in 1988. And uh, for 26 years, I was a freelance designer. Um, towards the last decade of that business, I was primarily delivering branding solutions for small businesses and startups. Um, so in some cases, they would refer to me as their, their uh, in-house or their outsourced in-house graphic design department. So we were handling everything from designing the logo and branding materials to uh, to the messaging, the marketing strategy, uh, which of course led to the web strategy. So in the mid nineties, I was creating websites for my clients. Um, and then in the mid two thousands, we started creating 
sites using WordPress. And um, so as we brought that tool in, it gave our customers the ability to edit their own content, which was one of the most popular requests in the mid 90s, without having to hire a webmaster as we called ourselves with pride. So uh, I was a webmaster, but they had to call us anytime they want to make changes to the phone number on their website or whatever. So we started using WordPress to give them the power to make changes to their own website. Part of that was handing off the keys to the client at the end of a project and uh, providing some one-on-one -on -one personalized WordPress training to get them up to speed with how to use this tool to edit their content. And after delivering that in-person one-on-one training a couple of dozen times, uh, I had customers say things like, hey, this has been phenomenal training, but uh, what happens if I forget everything that we've talked about two weeks from now? So what do I do then? So that's where the idea came to create a series of video tutorials for, uh, which became WordPress 101, but initially was just to serve my clients. So I didn't actually begin the journey of building WP 101 as a product strategy. I uh, never imagined that it would be where it is today. It just was born out of serving a genuine need and really the, uh, the desire that I had to serve my clients better. That's awesome. And then you also started helping other agencies or freelancers out there by giving them a tool that they could put into the, the WordPress website to deliver videos to their clients. And to me, like I remember that exact same experience where I would sit down, I'd be in a small business in their office and it would take about maybe 60 minutes to get through all the details of publishing a post and categories and tags and putting images in there. Yeah. But like having a quality place for them to go learn on their own where they can use the pause and rewind button, uh, just that kind of thinking, um, you know, it gave the customer a powerful tool and it gave the freelancer a lot more efficiency in, in their business and, and smoothed over. You really solved a really good business problem there. Yeah, thanks for that. That's exactly how it came to pass. In fact, I, I you know, had created the series of videos for my clients. And then as I began talking with other friends of mine who are WordPress developers and designers in the space, they said, man, I need that for my clients. Set it, up, set it up as a membership site and I'll send my customers to you and they can get the video training there. And then after a couple of years of delivering that, another friend of mine, also a WordPress developer, Bill Erickson, said, hey, you know, this has been great, but you know what would be even better is if we could deliver these videos directly inside my client's dashboard. Why don't you release your videos as a plugin and uh, then we can subscribe to the plugin, we can install the plugin on the client's site and then they can have the video tutorials right in their own dashboard and that would be an even better experience. So we created that product, the WP 101 plugin to serve WordPress developers and agencies um, and that's been incredibly helpful to a lot of businesses to be able to provide that training to their clients in, in the place that makes the most sense right in their own WordPress dashboard. So yeah, that was a, a second way. We actually have three different streams. We have multiple ways that we've kind of been able to leverage or put these videos to work. And that's been kind of an interesting thing to see unfold over the years. Well, the third way I believe is just you license your videos to other companies, which recently on our Lifter LMS demo, I licensed your course and I, I sent it out to my uh, email list and, you know, Lifter LMS is a WordPress learning management system plugin for building online courses. But in order to really get going with it, you need to have a base understanding of WordPress itself. So it was only natural for me to want to get the best in, in the world WordPress training right there and encourage my people to take it. It's only going to help them have a much stronger foundation for, you know, building on top of that with online courses and other e-commerce and engagement stuff related to that. So 
licensing is just a, a brilliant thing. And uh, in the in the last episode, if if you were listening to that one with uh, Bjork Ostrom, he talked about how he was able to maintain recurring revenue through, for his membership site because he was always launching a new online course every month, and uh, among other things that would happen every month. But one of his big key takeaways is like you don't always have to create it; sometimes you can just license it. So, uh, how did the idea for licensing come about? It really came about from conversations about where uh, customers or students best will benefit best from the videos, right? So uh, obviously end users would benefit the most from our membership site at WP101.com. There, uh, they can not only watch our videos, but also ask questions in our Q&A forum where uh, course creators that we're bringing on are able to answer questions. So they get expert you know, questions that kind of one-on-one -on -one help. So that's one channel. Um, if the customer would best benefit from having the videos directly in the dashboard, then the WP 101 plugin serves them best. And then the last scenario is the one you described, our licensing program, is the best way to use our videos on your own website, usually within a support portal or something like that. So it's, it's just about ways of delivering the same content in different streams to deliver them in the best place possible for your audience. So we have, by thinking of our videos and our content in that way, We've created not only, you know, different streams of recurring revenue, but also ways to put the videos to work, you know, far more effectively than we would have just leaving, leaving the videos on our own website, you know, and having people come to our website and, and see them there. So, in fact, our uh, plug-in and licensing programs make up two-thirds of our, you know, monthly revenue. So, only a third of our monthly revenue actually comes from the membership site itself, uh, which is where we began. Um, so, by far, it's, it's a lot more... Uh, beneficial to everyone to think about ways to leverage those videos and other streams, uh, including the plugin and licensing. Awesome. Well, that was a masterclass in segmentation and product market fit and repurposing content through different delivery mechanisms. So thanks for sharing that. Let's, let's go back to your story a little bit and zero in on that moment where you became where WordPress 101 was like sustainable enough that you were able to really make the switch or, or, and I know that it's more of a process than an event most likely, but what was that? What was, what was a time in your life like where you were, you know, transitioning from doing design or agency work over to your online education company full time? Yeah. Well, I love meeting people who look at WP 101 today and probably heard about us years ago. We started in 2008 with that first series. So in eight years, we've come a long way. And so people come along now and look at WP 101 and, and feel like it might fit those narratives that they might have heard about overnight successes, how you build a product and they will come, you know, you just released this thing and it became more. It was not an overnight success. It is not the holy grail of, you know, making money while you sleep. Um, all those kinds of uh, fun myths that are out there. In fact, it was a very slow, tedious uh, evolution. And when I first released, when I released the first set of videos for my clients, those were not really even intended to provide any source of revenue beyond just a significant value add for my clients, right? So we just provided those after the fact as a resource that clients could go back to. So initially, there wasn't even an expectation to make money off of these videos. Uh, when we turned it into a membership site to serve other developers and companies in the space, 
um, that's when we started thinking about revenue. But even then, we initially released, um, we initially built the membership site on a pay what you wish model. So it was strictly donation based, whatever you feel like the training is worth. And, and it was tough to kind of land on a pricing point for the videos because the videos would have different value to someone, depending on whether or not you're using WordPress to build a blog, to share some recipes with family and friends, or you're using WordPress to build a full-blown e-commerce site. The value of this training would vary wildly depending on what you're actually using the videos for. So one way to tackle that was just to offer them under a pay-what-you-wish model. We did that for a couple of years. And in fact, we even donated 50% of whatever you chose to pay for the course towards charity. So um, it enables us to do some really cool things, but there was not an expectation to ever you know, replace my, my, my income necessarily. So it wasn't until years down the road, maybe four years into the process, when we started having people approach us about becoming affiliate partners and wanting to use our videos for their customers in different ways, and it's really difficult to set up an affiliate program on a pay-what-you-wish model where somebody makes <laughs> yeah. a, little, a few bucks, right? So we realized that in order to really begin partnering with people at that level, we needed to fix our price points and develop a more you know, significant, stable um, business model pricing strategy. And uh, so we kind of put those things in place. Um, and then all along, one of the drivers was my commitment to keeping these videos up to date. Right When I first started looking for WordPress tutorial videos to provide to my own customers, uh, I only found one other set of screencasts, and they were already badly out of date. In fact, they still haven't been updated. Uh, so I knew that one of the challenges was going to be continually updating these WordPress tutorial videos with each and every release of WordPress. So that takes time. It takes resources. Um, we've closed captioned the videos. Now we're translating them into Spanish. Each of those layers that you add adds a layer of complexity. And uh, as you do that and you want to grow, that takes revenue to do all of that. So, um, yeah, it was a full four years into our eight-year journey before I really began looking at WP 101 more seriously um, and treating it with kind of the respect that it deserved. And so uh, three years ago, I started kind of slowly transitioning out of client work and freelance work uh, to put more attention on WP 101, attending more WordCamps. Um, you know, getting in touch with and having real conversations with WordPress beginners and figuring out how we can serve them even better. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride, but it's a slow evolution. And uh, I think I see a lot of companies today getting in trouble because their expectation is that if they just build this thing and release it, that the masses will come. And it often takes a lot more work. It takes a lot harder, a lot more effort rather to build the community than it does to release the product or the course. That's awesome. Yeah. When you first said uh, 26 years, I think in the, the design work to me, that's, that's another 26 years to overnight success because the people I see who do the best with WordPress or really any kind of like web app, web development, web education, uh, before all that, there's like, they're solving business problems. So use technology to solve business or life problems. And by doing all those, those hard yards of consulting and seeing where people are struggling and seeing what works, that's also part of that journey that makes, you know, the technical training, you know, fill the, the business need backbone or, or whatever. So it's, yeah, I, I totally appreciate that. And, and um, we all hear about the lean startup, which was originated out of the idea of lean manufacturing, which came out of Toyota in Japan. 
they had a uh, word called Kaizen, which means continuous improvement. And so obviously you've committed yourself to that. And, uh, you know, about keeping things updated, I don't know if you realize you're actually talking to one of your competitors here in that I have a WordPress course on Udemy. I have over 16,000 users in it last time I checked. I haven't updated it in three years. <laughs> and Udemy has recently contacted me that they might be taking it down soon or something. Uh-huh. But I, I mean, it's not that I don't continuously improve things. It's just that particular course I haven't come back to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas when I see you, WordPress rolls out a new thing, boom, you're on it. Like, okay, this is what's happening in 0.7 or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It's awesome. So where, uh, where does that come from for you? That commitment to continuously uh, up improving or updating because it's not a lot of people get really focused on the product launch, but that's just the starting line. And, and you take that seriously. Like where does that come from that commitment? Yeah, I do. If I had to make a, a distinction, I, what I see right now are a lot of companies that are product focused instead of people focused. And I know this seems, you know, grossly naive and basic, but I find that this is a, this is an enormous differentiator. Because if you're really doing what you're doing to serve your audience, your community, uh, then the products and the solutions kind of are easily born out of that, right? So the commitment to update the videos comes out of my commitment to serve the WordPress agencies and developers and designers and, and larger companies like GoDaddy and Media Temple who are using our videos to train their customers. So out of the commitment to that relationship, uh, we have to keep our videos up to date always with the latest version of WordPress because otherwise this reflects badly on our partners, right? All of those companies that are relying on us to provide this training. So it's a relationship first model. And then kind of going a little bit deeper, um, you know, when I graduated high school, I don't, know if, I don't know if I've told you this before, Chris, but I'm the oldest of seven kids. And uh, in a big family like that, there was no money set aside for college, right? So right out of high school, I knew that I wanted to go into graphic design. Uh, at that time, the best place to study graphic design was in the Art Institute, which the Art Institute of Houston, where I'm my hometown, uh, was incredibly expensive. While I could have gotten some financial aid, it also would have just meant massive student loan debt. So rather than going that path, um, I just went down to the bookstore and literally looked at year one, these are the books that they recommended, and I just bought those books right off the shelf, went home and devoured them. And that kind of, that kind of commitment to just never stop learning, uh, which is kind of a personal mantra of mine, is, has carried me through to today. So it just has never stopped. I began learning about cool things like gestalt theory and typography and letting and all these cool things that I didn't know about before. And that um, kind of approach continues today. So I'm still, I'm still learning. And so that kind of constant learning, constant evolution is something that I'm hardwired for. So it makes sense then. It's really a natural, um, you know, it's, it comes out of that same desire, that same place to constantly keep these videos up to date to make sure that we're serving people in the best way possible uh, because I believe in never stop learning. So the moment you begin stagnating and you say, this is the content, we're done with that. It's, it's you know, one and done. Um, I think you're beginning to, from the moment that stops, you're losing touch with the people that you intended to serve in the first place. So the more you're able to stay connected with them, keep your content up to date, um, keep a finger on the pulse of what your customer, your audience needs, um, that's going to inform what you create next, how you continue to evolve your course, your training, your product, or even your services. And uh, so I'm deeply committed to people first, a people first approach 
and then developing products and solutions that serve them best. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that story about going to the bookstore and, and, and doing that. I call that trait in a, somebody, which is really common in entrepreneurs, I call that batteries included. It's cool. And uh, that's actually one of the qualities I look for. It, does, it could be about anything, but you can tell it in, in when people tell stories about things they've done or how they got into something, you know, if they just kind of clawed their way through it and, and under their own power, you know, there's no carrot or stick approach. That's yeah. really cool. And, li and like I said, that's a really important quality in today's world when you're building a team or um, just in terms of if you're looking at focusing a lot of effort of your life into something, it, it should have that like natural, um, you shouldn't have to try too hard to be motivated about it. And really that's a big op opportunity with online education and the way things are headed. It seems like the world is becoming more and more conducive to helping people who want to take charge of their own education and figure it out kind of in their own way, whether that's take this course over here, go to this school over here. Um, the world is just more, it's out there for you. You just got to go, got to go do it. And that's why people are creating courses in all kinds of interesting niches. Yeah. Uh, even if there's only 30 people in the world interested in some micro topic, they can now find each other on the internet or whatever. So that's right. Yep, absolutely. It's fascinating. Well, in terms of, I was mentioning batteries included is one thing I look for in a team. Throughout your journey, what has been your approach to team? Have you always wanted to be a solopreneur? Do you bring in freelancers as needed? Do you have any people or have you had people and then you changed over time? Um, does your, anybody else in your family help? Like, How does it all work from a team perspective for you? What's your philosophy? Yeah, so... 26 years as a designer was basically solopreneur um, for a period of about five years. My wife actually was working for me. She was uh, prior to that was an elementary school teacher. Uh, quit that after five or six years to come work for me. We did some great work together. She's great about the administration side. So as a team, we worked that business really well, just a husband and wife team. Uh, these days, she's much busier uh, homeschooling our kids and uh, has more than her plate full right now. So uh, so WP 101 is primarily uh, me full time, um, but it's not really a solo effort because when it comes to other pieces, for example, the uh, plugin, which is obviously software that's installed on hundreds of thousands of sites, um, I don't trust my developer skills to create something of that scale. So uh, I'm more than happy to bring in uh, developers who have the chops to be able to create that type of a product. So we partnered with Mark Jakewith, who's actually one of the lead contributors to WordPress, um, to create the first version of the plugin. And then maintaining that plugin, we hire only kind of best-in-class WordPress developers who have a solid reputation because when we make changes to the plugin and push that back out, I want to be able to sleep that night knowing that we didn't break hundreds of thousands of websites. So I do bring in people to help out from time to time. And then the other key area is in the creation of content. So one of our biggest challenges is there's just no end to the number of courses and tutorials and videos that we could create uh, to serve the you know, thousands and thousands of WordPress products and services in the space. So what we're trying to do is to be strategic about what courses do our audience, would they most benefit from? Are they in fact asking for? Um, and kind of just a quickly sidebar on that, uh, closing the loop on our earlier conversation. When you have a people first approach and you have real conversations with the, with the audience you're serving, 
they will tell you in the in in the form of their questions uh, and sometimes more critical feedback uh, where you need to take your next training and where you need to provide some additional material to kind of fill in the gaps. So we're listening to that feedback, and then that's helped us to it kind of informs our future roadmap about what new courses, what new training, or even what revisions to our existing course do we need to make uh, to better serve our audience. Um, but and when we talk about scaling a tutorial business like WP 101, um, I realized that I can't create all the videos and also create them up to, you know, keep them up to date all the time. So what we've done is partnered with some other subject matter experts and bringing them in to create the courses and then partnering with them to make sure that the videos are of the highest quality and, and the production that we're bringing to the table is consistent with what people have come to expect of WP 101. Um, but we're partnering with these subject matter experts because they're the ones who really know these products inside and out. So, for example, Daniel Espinoza is a noted WooCommerce expert. WooCommerce is an amazing e-commerce platform, and I think they just released a stat that says they're powering something like 47% of all online stores, which is crazy. But I do not have the skills to teach somebody how to use Woo WooCommerce. Daniel does. So we partnered with him. He created all the scripts. Um, I partnered with him to create the voiceovers, gave him some tips and pointers about how to create those on-screen actions. We did some editing together. So it was a collaboration to make sure that, that course was delivered in the best way possible. But essentially, it's Daniel's content. And then Daniel now is available in our Q&A forum to answer WooCommerce-specific questions uh, of members who have been through that course. And we're using that same model to partner with other subject matter experts. Uh, the next series we're about to release, in fact, it was created by Zach Gordon, who's a very well-known and respected uh, WordPress teacher um, across a, a, a broad range of topics. Uh, but Zach's partnering with us to create a series of videos for the Jetpack plugin for WordPress. So by partnering with subject matter experts, we can deliver the content that our customers want, uh, that our students need and are asking for, uh, but leveraging, you know, Time, everyone's time a little bit better, but it's an interesting way to scale because it's not quite bringing on full-time employees or even part-time employees, but really thinking more along the lines of partnerships. That's awesome. Yeah, partnering seems more and more the way of the future as the world gets more complex, as the rate of change gets more complex. Unless you're, you know, a superhuman, you can't do it all. Um, if I made one point that I would be willing to make in every single episode, I would say just in terms of observing. Um, the successful online course platforms, I see four key things. And I used to say three, but I added a new one recently, which I, I'm going to go over. But the, the first three are the expertise or the knowledge. So, you know, the understanding of WordPress or WooCommerce with Daniel, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the instructional design, which for you, you know, making the professionally polished videos, you have a, you know, that design asset, which you're really strong in, and you help your partners level up their their game there the yeah. third thing you need is like a platform or a course delivery system to do that uh, and then the final thing which i've added recently which i see as a trend in the successful platforms is community yeah um <clears throat> both like uh especially the entrepreneur behind it is enmeshed in some kind of community for you I think that's the WordPress ecosystem, but perhaps there's some other places, small business stuff in where you live. Um, so there's that community piece. And also part of your platform, uh, like you said, people get to ask questions and you're there to support them. So you're fostering that community. It's not just like, 
a silent, here's the content. Like if you get stuck, you have an open feedback loop, which not only gives your people a great experience, it also um, helps you see where you need to improve and where new opportunities might lie. So that's really awesome. In terms of customer support, you know, you've got that feedback loop, like where have you fallen down in customer support? Where, what have you learned over the years? Like what is your style for customer support for your training? I've gotten lectured recently because uh, I think it's surprising for some people to learn that I'm still providing 100% of our customer support uh, by choice. So um, we have uh, 27,000 members on our site. Um, the plugin is installed on hundreds of thousands of sites. We don't actively have to provide necessarily technical support for all of those sites. Primarily, uh, the support requests that we get come through our membership site. And uh, so I choose to actively participate in those conversations. We use Help Scout just in terms of sharing a tool um, because it's a very easy email-based uh, support tool um, that doesn't, doesn't kind of put the burden on our customers with having to learn how to use our customer support system just to submit a ticket. So I'm a big fan of email-based support where they can easily fill out a form to begin a conversation and then just email back and forth replies. Um, but by having those conversations, that's that's the best opportunity that I have to determine whether or not the training that we're providing is is effective. Are we actually accomplishing the goals that we set out for the course? Uh, is it actually beneficial to our audience? Uh, where might we be missing, uh, you know, some key elements? If I keep getting the same question over and over again, then that's a great way to uh, kind of make a mental note that next time we write the course, I need to flesh out this particular section a little more and provide a little more clear instruction about this particular area. So I choose to kind of continue doing the customer support. Um, you know, in terms of dropping the ball, the biggest challenge with customer support is just the sheer volume and the fact that it just doesn't stop, right? Yeah. It doesn't stop for yeah. holidays and weekends and sick days and on and on. So um, that is the biggest challenge. And I know that that would be an easy way to bring in someone else. A lot of people are tempted to, uh, the first place, in fact, they want to um, kind of outsource is customer support. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the best strategy. Um, I definitely wouldn't advise it in the beginning uh, because I think it's critical to make sure that you continue to get that feedback. So, you know, the way that I drop the ball is actually the way that I pick up the ball. I think it's the fact that I'm always on. Uh, so this is something that could be improved over time. Um, it is definitely a challenge, but for the moment anyway, it is manageable. It's not something that's eating six to eight hours a day. Um, I can take care of all of our customer support within, you know, a matter of an hour to two uh, per day. And for the time being, I just choose to participate in those conversations because it gives me the best sense of where our customers and where our audience are and uh, whether or not we're actually providing something of value to help them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. At Lifter LMS, we also do a lot like like we've actually outsourced before and then pulled back. Um, and Thomas more on the technical side and me on the pre-sales side and some of the customer support side. We do a, a large volume of it ourselves. Yeah. And we found that um, really investing in on it, like over time, we could actually do double what we thought was possible in our time for it. And you learn little tips and tricks. Uh, we also use Help Scout, great tool. Yeah. Um, we have some can not can responses. It sounds kind of like negative, but there's actually just common things that. Yeah. Okay, if I add this here, all these little things save like 20 seconds here. It adds up to hours a month or a week or whatever. 
just by, and it's not necessarily the whole message, but it's just like, oh, they're going to need this little chunk, this little chunk, plus this custom response. And you can really, you can, you can cover a lot of ground, probably way more than you think you can once you get good at it. Yeah. Those responses are incredible. I use them as templates. And then like you said, I I tend to modify them. In fact, I don't think I ever just apply a template and hit send. So it's always customized, but it provides a good place to start when you're getting some of those questions over and over again. So a fantastic tool. And, uh, and that's the, that's one of the things that I, I've never gotten a piece of negative feedback from any of our customers about the customer support experience. And so Help Scout just works. It works transparently. And uh, the best tools, I think, are those that are kind of invisible, but help you make the best use of your time. Yeah. And Help Scout, here's just one more. Help Scout has this thing where people can rate your reply that we have turned on and we actually have it so that it goes to our a Slack and then you can see if it's negative, there's a red rocket. And if it's positive, there's a green rocket. And you, sometimes people leave feedback. So we're like, oh, I, I can see their perspective. Maybe I would handle that differently the next time. But you give people a way to vent, or um, but also to tell you where you're doing well. We get a lot more green rockets than we do red rockets. And some of the, the comments that people make about how much they appreciate or how fast or how in-depth the help was or whatever, um, that's really motivating. It's really yeah. motivating. Well, let's go into one more technical detail and uh, just do a quick lightning round here. You, a lot of people making online courses, like if you're listening on the podcast, uh, LMS Cash, you may be listening in iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever, but we also put all these interviews on YouTube. Um, so we're having basically talking head right now. Uh, but most of your video, con- your content for your courses is screen sharing. So just real quickly, can you run through like, I mean, this is somebody with, a, I don't know, a decade of years experience making screen share videos. Like what is the technology stack that you use from the type of computer, the microphone, the anything in your office to make the sound better? Like what, what are you using? Even in the browser, like what's, yeah. what's your stack? Oh, you bet. I love geeking out and talking <laughs> about this stuff. Um, but first of all, to your point about talking heads, um, I've actually chosen not to put my head on there. We experimented with that for a little while. Um, there are some great tools. The tool that I use for recording my screencast is ScreenFlow, uh, which is an amazing tool. It's a primary. It's a only only available for the Mac. So if you're using a PC, you might want to consider Camtasia instead. The other uh, most popular screencasting uh, tool or screen capture tool. Both of those tools enable you to capture a talking head. So you've seen this in tutorial videos where your head appears down in the bottom right-hand side or off to the side of the content that you're presenting on screen. Uh, But the feedback we got is it's actually distracting. Uh, People didn't actually benefit from it. And to be honest, they'd rather have the screen real estate to be able to see what it is that you're teaching. Now, the type of content that I'm providing is educational, and we're talking about a piece of web software. So it makes the most sense then to primarily be showcasing the screen actions. And so that's primarily what I'm creating. So we no longer do talking heads. We had a brief experiment with it, but for the most part, the feedback that we get is that uh, our audience doesn't want to see the talking head. They just want to see the content as it's presented. So um, in terms of gear um, software, I use screencast for the, uh, for the, excuse me, screen flow for capturing these on-screen actions. Um, but to be honest, I think most of this, the, the, the first impression that people are going to have of your online training videos is the audio quality. So I'm an audio nerd um, with a background in music and audio and video recording. So um, I actually have invested quite a bit into my audio rig. These days, you can get a lot of, you can get a lot better audio quality out of USB mics than you could when I first started. 
Uh, probably one of the best USB-powered mics right now is the Rode Podcaster. Really popular among podcasters. And it's so simple because you can just set it up on a boom arm and one cable plugs into your computer, you're set to go. No extra hardware needed or anything else. Uh, in my particular setup, I have a broadcast quality mic. This is the Shure SM7B. It's the same microphone that famously Michael Jackson used <laughs> to record vocals. Uh, Pentatonix, the uh, you know, acapella group, uses this as a performance mic. Um, for me and my voice, this was the microphone that best captured all the inflections and enabled me to provide the best kind of sounding uh, voiceover. And I think that's really important. When you're delivering an hour and a half worth of content and people are listening to primarily your voice, it's incredibly important then that your voice sound as good as possible uh, so that it doesn't become taxing or harsh if there's a lot of sibilance, you know, overpronounced S's or, you know, popping P's. All of these kinds of things become a distraction to the content you're teaching. So the microphone is very important. It is not a USB powered mic. It's an XLR microphone. So I have an XLR cable that goes down to a preamp. Um, I use the Grace Design M101 which I thought was an appropriate name for WP101 <laughs> videos. Uh, but it also has a super clean preamp, um, and it powers this microphone, which happens to be very power-hungry. Uh, then from the preamp, I plug into a Duet by Apogee, which is just a digital analog converter that plugs into my computer. So I capture all my audio in GarageBand because that enables me to apply some filters um, to the audio to make sure that it's mastered, make sure that every uh, voiceover that we create is being sent out at the same uh, level so that if I'm recording videos a year from now, they're at the same level as the ones that I'm recording today. Uh, so that's really important when we're constantly updating our series and uh, plugins like that do help to provide a better quality audio because we can also do cool things like making the audio, the, narr the narration a little warmer, for example, in tone. Um, and then just master the levels and make sure that it's all going out the same way. So that's kind of the hardware and the software in terms of the process, real lightning round here. I'm one of these guys who prefers to script every single word ahead of time. So I tend to create a local demo environment first, uh, then do a dry run, during which time I'm actually recording and writing down every single word that I'm going to say, making careful notes about where I need to put a pause, for example, to allow for a little longer on-screen action. Um, once the voiceover uh, is done recording the script as a voiceover. Then I import the voiceover into ScreenFlow and then finally record the screen actions to match the audio, which is how we get that nice precise action on screen. Everything matches up nicely and it gives us that professional quality that people come to expect from our videos. So uh, that's primarily the, that's kind of the, the highlights of the process itself. Um, that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. I would only recommend a script first approach if you have the ability to read a script in a conversational tone that makes, you know, where your listeners can't tell that you're actually reading. And that's not necessarily the case for everyone. Um, if that's not the case for you, then by all means, go for the conversational tone above the process. But that's the process that's worked best for us over the years. That's awesome. And are you, you're standing up right now, I believe, right? I am standing. I'm at a standing desk. Do you, do you record your videos standing up? I do record my videos standing up. Um, so vocal coaches will tell you that you get better support for your diaphragm and you're able to speak more naturally when you're standing as opposed to sitting. So I prefer to stand. Uh, and also for all the other health reasons that we have become aware of in recent years. Uh, but I tend to alternate if I'm doing email and those kind of things, then I'll hang out in one of the chairs behind me uh, in my man cave and handle email from a laptop seated and then whenever i get up to do the serious work i'm always standing 
Well, that's awesome. Well, in terms of the man cave and uh, <laughs> needing good uh, quality audio, if you have kids, which I know you do, I've got kids, sometimes they come in here, but strategically I time uh, interview times when they're most likely not to be around. Um, how do you, what are some work-life balance things that you've dealt with? And I'll just say like for me as somebody who's run an agency, who's built a product, um, it's been a long journey to go to have more um, uh, healthy relationship with the work-life balance. You know, I used to sometimes work super late, you know, four o'clock in the morning, get up at nine, you know, get really close to some severe burnout or whatever, let things ride. Uh, But over time I've gotten, I've really committed. That's one area I really focus to that continuous improvement. And I realize sometimes working less, I get more done because I'm more balanced. My energy level's good. I'm not just pouring coffee on the problem all the time. And you know, my clients aren't getting emails at like three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Like it's over time I've gotten, I've made a covered a lot of ground, but what are some, uh, work-life balance tips for you? Well, speaking to the recording, we do have three kids. Our kids are 13, 11, and 10 now. So they've been trained over the years. Daddy's been doing this for eight years. They know I'm recording that they need to be, you know, quieter than normal. Uh, I am in a this, separate... Uh, I just want to say this, when this this curtain, if you're watching this on YouTube, yeah. is closed, that's a signal that do not come in here and don't knock. Exactly. I was just going to say, when the doors close, they know Daddy's <laughs> probably recording. Uh, we've stopped just shy of putting a red light outside that flashes <laughs> is taking place. Um, so some of that's just about, you know, communication. Our kids have kind of gotten used to that. They know uh, what that looks like. Um, I've also spent a decent amount of money in recent years soundproofing the area that I do most of my recordings. So we actually have uh, some portable soundproof panels that we bring into place to kind of create a vocal booth when I'm doing most of my heaviest recording. Um, and so that definitely helps to cut down on outside noise. It also helps to give it that kind of warm sound. But, but um, so, and there it actually... On that note, let me just make a quick little tip because I wish every podcaster or anyone who recorded audio for the web would use at least these two panels. So I take every opportunity to recommend these. If you're starting off recording your voice and you recognize that you're getting some echo from the room around you, the best thing you can buy are two panels called uh, Desk Max. They're the Desk Max panels by RLX and you can find them on Amazon. They cost a couple hundred bucks and they're essentially two panels uh, that have a backing board on them, and then they're four inches of, of thick recording foam. Um, and there's two of them. They're two foot by two foot, roughly square. And you can put those on either side of your workspace. And if you do that, you're going to cut out a good 80% of the room echo and noise that you're getting from your room. Uh, and it goes a long way toward increasing the audio quality uh, that you're producing. So that little tech tip. I have to make sure and get that in and recommend it. It's an easy thing to, uh, to invest in. It's not a permanent solution. So you can easily tuck them away in a closet when you're not recording. So you're not committing to putting foam up on your walls like I have. So with all the recording stuff out of the way, your real question was more about how to, how to um, achieve that delicate work-life balance. And, um, and that's been an incredible challenge over the years, particularly during those transition years that we were talking about earlier, transitioning from being a freelance designer where I was already, um, you know, you have, you try to schedule your work as, as good as possible, as well as possible. But as a freelancer, you often find yourself backed up against a wall where you can end up working long nights and weekends. And that's really challenging. Add to that, trying to spin up a product and provide some uh, service and support for that product like we did with WP 101. And you can pretty quickly find yourself working 60 
hour weeks on a regular basis. And, uh, and so I'd be lying if I said that we never did that. And we definitely, um, Kay and I had some hard times several years ago, um, facing burnout and we had to drop off, uh, several other activities, kind of extracurricular activities that we were really, uh, involved in to make more time for ourselves. And so my biggest tip is to become aggressive about what you choose to spend your time on. So we talked earlier about, you know, customer support. I choose to participate in the customer support, but I know that I can manage that within just a couple of hours. When we're not actively re-recording videos, um, this business can be managed within a reasonable work week. So I, I don't have to anymore juggle the nights and the weekends and all that kind of thing. Rarely do we have a technical issue that requires me to jump out after dinner or, you know, in those evening or weekend hours to take care of that. The way that we've um, gotten to this place, though, is by aggressively minimizing our commitments. And mm -hmm. so for our kids, for example, we've done we we found ourselves a couple of years ago in the space where one kid was enrolled in ballet and the other was in gymnastics and the other was playing soccer. And we were, you know, uh, building up this time of year before the uh, Christmas holiday. Uh, one of our kids was in the nutcracker. So you had additional practices going on and you're trying to juggle a business and attending a word camp. And it was insane. It was insane. Um, so we actually sat down and had a tough discussion. Kay and I did about the kind of life that we want to create and the kind of lifestyle we want to create for our kids. We want to be more known for a lifestyle of peace and availability to our friends who would like to have deeper, more meaningful conversations um, with family members uh, who we neglected during those years when we were overworked and stressed and overcommitted. And so to make room for those, we've had to clear out some other things. So we, this year, did not participate in all the things, all the sports, the gymnastics and the soccer and all that, that's gone in exchange for doing some travel as a family, which has been incredible uh, for us to kind of bond as a family unit and doesn't carry with it that strenuous kind of requirement, especially during this particular time of year. So it takes a real commitment to be aggressive about your schedule, your calendar, and what you do choose to say yes to. And so I would just say it, it mostly comes from a place of being able to say no a lot. And sometimes it's difficult to say no to those things, um, but that is exactly, in fact, it's the only way to arrive at the kind of work-life balance that enables you to do this meaningful work that you've committed to for years to come. And uh, ultimately, that's what we would love to be able to do. That's awesome. I think it might be a little cliche, but, and I can definitely confirm this from my experience. Like when you're in the beginning and you're in the hustle, sometimes you have to say yes to everything. That's what I did. But then later, it is about saying no. But uh, sure. you definitely don't want to go down in flames while you're saying yes to everything and trying to figure out your path. But, you know, trying on a lot of different things is good. I think uh, a key in that, too, just real quick, is, is uh, just thinking in terms of seasons, right? So it's okay. It's okay to burn the midnight oil for a little bit. You're working on an intense project. Uh, whenever we record all of our WordPress 101 videos, the kids know that I'm going to disappear in my man cave for three or four days, and those are going to be longer days. It's okay to do those things for short seasons as long as you're not committing to that as a lifestyle. Um, and I think that's what mentally helps you to be able to process those more stressful times is knowing there's an out. I'm only doing this for a short period of time. And then we're going to be able to get to a more reasonable balance. Another thing I've seen with you, um, not just scheduling work, but also uh, I think you call it a daddy date night where you take your, your kids out. That's uh, I, I've always admired that. And, and sometimes putting some things like that on a schedule is helpful just to reinforce the balance so every tuesday night tuesday nights <laughs> are date 
it's, it just happens to work out where there are generally four Tuesdays in a month. And so the first one is mommy and daddy. Mommy gets to go out with daddy. And then each of the Tuesdays uh, following, we take out, I take out one of the kids. And, and it's a great touch point. It's amazing how getting your kids alone uh, allows them and gives them the space to have conversations with you that they might not have uh, in the presence of the rest of the family. So it's incredibly important time. It's, it's one of the highlights of our week. That's awesome. Well, definitely on those date nights and on your travels and experiences, I've seen something coming out of you, which is some incredible photography that you do with your <laughs> iPhone. So when is the iPhone photography course coming out? That's great, man. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for needling me about that. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I've always enjoyed shooting and our kids have been trained since the earliest of ages that there's always a camera pointed at them. So they, they're incredibly photogenic. Um, and so they're a lot of fun to shoot, but, um, I've always enjoyed photography. It's a good creative outlet, um, outside of the other work that I do. And, uh, and for that reason, I chose to never really pursue it professionally because I don't want to kill the love that I really do have for photography right now. Keep it as uh, a hobby. Absolutely. It is yeah. a hobby. So I enjoy shooting. Um, this past year we took a trip to Florida and I did something really risky that I've never done before. And that was what you're alluding to. I took the iPhone 7 Plus, the brand new iPhone 7 Plus with us on our beach trip and did not take the DSLR and the big bag of lenses or even the uh, Fuji camera that I have. It's a little more lightweight. And I, I just took the iPhone and kind of, kind of pushed myself to see just how good is this camera that they're raving about and, uh, you know, the cool portrait mode and, and uh, some of the cool things that they've built into this camera. I was blown away. And um, I never actually missed the other cameras. What I instead enjoyed was the fact that I constantly had my iPhone with me uh, because it's waterproof. I didn't have to worry about having it at the beach um, as I was with my DSLR where I'm you know, carefully guarding that thing. So just the freedom was a huge benefit, but the, the images were just stellar. Now, we're still a ways from getting the same resolution, and I really do miss that. But in terms of getting the, uh, you know, the, the, the flesh tones right and the colors of those beautiful sunsets and sunrises on the beach, um, I was really impressed with how far they've come. So, yeah, I think we're just now at a place where a smartphone uh, could actually become a, a, a legitimate uh, photography tool. And uh, we're seeing some of those images. So who knows when a course is going to come out of that. I'd love to share some of the tips and tricks. Almost every image that you see has been edited in some way or another. So there's an there's a insider tip for you. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to give that some thought. Well, if not a course, at least one YouTube video, like the best of tips and tricks. That'd be awesome. There you go. There you go. Well, there goes Sean Hesketh again, ladies and gentlemen, the same guy who uh, bought the books, the design books, and did it himself. Batteries included, figuring out the, uh, the iPhone for photography. Well, people can find you at WP101.com. Is there anywhere else uh, where people can reach out if they want to connect with you? You, bet. you can follow WP101 on Twitter at WP101. You can follow me on Twitter at Left Lane, L-E-F-T-L-A-N-E. And then I also blog at SeanHeskith.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Sean. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on.